If you would like to with me this morning in the Word of God, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. And as I quote several verses, you, um, you can turn to those verses and follow me as we walk through Matthew together. Yesterday I was in a wedding over at um, East Palestine in a church that didn't have air conditioning. And uh, it was just unbelievable how the heat built up in that sanctuary. And as I came in here this morning, I just had to thank God for the privilege we have of having air conditioning in our church. And I was reminded of the uh, Sunday school teacher who told her children when they go into church to be sure and be very quiet in the worship service. And one of those little children who just didn't hear things and take them as they were given to her said, why do we have to be quiet when we go into the worship service? And the teacher said, because there are some people in there who are sleeping. <laughs> now the air conditioning helps us out, and uh, so I'm, I'm glad for all the help I can get. And uh, I could see yesterday in that service that some had, that was their nap time, and, and they, did, they did two things at the same time. They came to a wedding and they took their afternoon nap at the same time, and uh, the heat just lent itself to that kind of a thing. Well, we want to think about the kingdom of God this morning, and as we do, we will start in Matthew chapter 3, because uh, that's where we have John, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, coming on the scene, and he's, he's beginning to introduce the person of Jesus Christ in a variety of ways, but as he starts out, he says something very strong and very emphatic. He says, you need to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's referring to the fact that Jesus is going to come on the scene, and as Jesus comes on the scene, he's going to deal with his kingdom, and that kingdom message, which we hear very little of these days, is very important, all important, in fact. And as Jesus then comes on the scene in Matthew 4 to begin his ministry, we read in verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began also to preach, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now, when we get over to Matthew chapter 5, we begin the Sermon on the Mount. And as we get into that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is kind of letting us know what his message is going to be about. He's sharing with us what his emphasis is going to be in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And when we get into the middle of that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, when you follow me, this is what it's all about. I don't want you to be concerned about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear and all of those things that are bothering the people around you. But in verse 33, he says, I want you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of those other things will take care of themselves. They'll be given to you as well. We move over to chapter 9, and by the time we get to verse 35, we, we read that uh, Jesus is taking another step here now. He's been going through the towns, and he's been going through the villages, but he's beginning actually to walk into the synagogues and to teach in the synagogues and to share his message with them. And it says when he gets into those synagogues, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom, and he's also healing every disease and sickness. And then, just to skip over a lot of verses, and we could use a lot more where Christ refers to the kingdom, but we get over to Matthew 24 and verse 14, we have Jesus Christ now beginning to wind down his ministry, and as he does that, he says, I want to share with you, I want to prophesy what my church is going to be teaching about till the end of the age. Yeah, I want to tell you what the church is going to be teaching in 1998 and whatever years we have left until I come again. And he said it this way. 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I don't know if you're catching it, but if, if you are catching what I'm trying to get across this morning, you need to understand that when Jesus talked about the gospel, when he talked about the good news of salvation, when he talked about you and I having a relationship with himself, when he talked about God the Father and our childlike relationship with God the Father, when he talked about any of that, he talked and taught, first of all, about the kingdom of God, and he put an emphasis on repentance, and he said, those of us who are part of the kingdom are going to grow. And if we leave that kingdom emphasis out of our teaching, then we're going to be guilty of devising a different gospel. And I'm not saying that. Jesus already has. He says, what I want you to teach is the kingdom of God message until the very end when I come back again. And he also says in the middle of all of it, there's good news to that kingdom message because the kingdom message, that kingdom of God message, can be reestablished in the hearts of any man and any woman because Jesus Christ has made that possible. But what is important for us to understand and pick up this morning, what's important for us to know is that God has a kingdom and we need to understand that. The teachers in the early church understood it. They preached a message that had the kingdom part to it over and over again. In fact, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, it re we read that Philip was preaching, and it says they believed Philip as he preached. But it also says Peter, pre Philip was preaching about the good news of the kingdom of God. And when he shared that kingdom of God message, many believed and were baptized, both men and women. In Acts chapter 19, we have Paul preaching in verse 8, and it says Paul now too was, was beginning to really enter into the synagogues and really debate with the religious leaders of the day. And he was in this one particular synagogue for three months, and he said he was arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. And as the message of the early church is winding down in Acts chapter 28 and verse 23, we see Paul now coming to a conclusion of his life, but, it, but before he got there, it says they arranged to meet with Paul on a certain day, and they came in larger numbers to the place where he was staying than anticipated. And from morning till evening, Paul was explaining to them and declaring to them the kingdom of God. So in the, the message of John, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and in the message of Christ himself, and in the message of the early church, over and over again, the kingdom of God was a part of that message. The interesting thing is, today we hear very little about it. And because we hear very little about the kingdom of God, it has changed our whole concept regarding the gospel. It's changed how we look at our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we end up missing what following Jesus Christ really should look like. I don't know when it happened, but somewhere back there, in order to simplify the, the, the message of Christ, that gospel message for mass consumption, we somehow changed the message, and we began to talk more and more about the gift of salvation and about the pardon of sin and the loving acceptance of God's great salvation, and we ended up using phrases like believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon the name of the Lord and receive the gift of eternal life or phrases like you need to ask Jesus to come into your heart or you need to pray to receive Christ or make a decision for Christ. 
And the interesting thing is that Jesus never asked us to make a decision for him. He asked us to follow him. He asked us to yield to him. And there's a radical difference between those two phrases. So someone asks you sometime, are you a Christian? And you say, well, yes. And they're interested in that. They're, they're kind of exploring themselves. They, they, there's some intrigue with that. And so they, they ask you another question. They say, well, how did it happen? How did you become a Christian? And then you come back and say, well, I decided for Christ. The truth is, when Jesus talked about that decision, Jesus asked people, first of all, to repent, and then he asked for them to submit to him as king, to follow him, to obey him, and then, of course, to believe in him. So if you're going to follow Jesus Christ in the way he taught it, if you're going to understand it in the way he proclaimed it, if you're going to get it in the way he said the church should teach it until the end of the age, then you're going to talk about repentance and surrender because there is a big difference between just believing in Jesus Christ or in following Christ or yielding to him. You see, believing in Christ is a spectator sport. Following Jesus Christ, giving him your life, is what makes you a real player. And if I don't follow Jesus Christ, and if I don't yield to him, and if I don't accept his sovereign control over my life, if I don't want his agenda and his leadership in my life, then I am in control. And if I'm in control, I'm going to live a self-saturated in an environment that is totally self, and when I'm in control, I'm going to question what he does, I'm going to walk in disobedience at times, I'm going to walk sometimes in stubborn rebellion, I'm going to be unfaithful, I'm going to have one excuse after another for following him, and I'm going to do all of those things that eventually ruin a life and make us no different from those who are not Christians. Let me illustrate this. When I was a child, I grew up during the Second World War. I had four uncles who were in the thick of the battle, two on sea and two on land, and they didn't write too often, but once in a while they wrote a letter home and they shared some of the things they were going through. At that particular time, almost every family had somebody in the war, and up and down the street they would get letters from those that were in the, in the war, and we would go out on the street sometimes and share our stories, and around the dinner table almost every night we talked about a lot of things and shared a lot of stories, and I don't know if all of them were true, but I know this one was. Jen Hedingay, in his book, Follow Me, brought it up not too long ago, and, and it reminded me of the night I heard it as a child. At the end of the war, General Douglas MacArthur was the official representative of the United States. A highly decorated admiral represented the Japanese Imperial forces. These two men met on the deck of the battleship Missouri. As the ceremony came to the moment of surrender, the Japanese admiral raised his hand and he wanted to shake General MacArthur's hand in the familiar gesture of friendship and peace. And General MacArthur just stood there and he didn't raise his hand. He kept his hand as a side. And then very seriously, after a few moments, he said, Sir, your sword first, please. The defeated admiral thought about that for a few moments. And then he reached down and he took out his sword and he handed it over to General MacArthur. And MacArthur took the sword and after he had it in hand, he took his hand and he reached out and he grasped his hand in friendship and in peace. 
Later on, MacArthur was asked why he did that and why he asked for the sword, first of all, and he said, the formal disarming of the enemy had to do with the symbol of surrender. And he said, until that weapon was handed over, the hostilities had not formally ceased. Now, what I want to share with you is that God is after a similar response. God calls it repentance. And the word repentance in our day and age is largely misunderstood. A biblical response to the word to repentance is far different than merely feeling sorry for what you have done. We've got the mistaken idea today that if someone is repentant, that simply means that that person regrets, and sometimes with tears, what he or she has done that is wrong. But when you get into the Word of God, that's only part of the meaning of the word repentance. In Scripture, the word means and is always tied to the arrival of God's kingdom. That's why John said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's why Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the idea is this, when you hear that word repentance in scripture, ultimate authority has arrived and it's surrender time. The moment of truth is here. And the question always comes with that word repentance. I don't want you just to feel sorry for your sins. The truth of the matter is, will you give up all your resistance? Will you now bow down to the conquering king of heaven? Will you give up the sword? And will you by faith trust him then with your very life? Will you accept his leadership over your daytimer? Will you accept his leadership over your family? Will you accept his leadership in how you spend your money? Will you accept his leadership in every area of your life? And will you accept his sacrifice on the cross as payment for your sin? See, sin is going my way. Sin is doing my own thing according to the Word of God. Sin is defiantly resisting authority. So the question always is, now that you want to come to Jesus Christ, now that you see your need of Christ, now that you need to see the forgiveness of sin is important, are you willing to go His way? Are you willing to submit to His leadership in your life? Are you willing to allow Him to change you? Are you willing to allow him to work in your life any way he sees fit in order for your best and your development? Let's go at it with another story. Sometimes a husband and wife, when they're living together, will get into a battle of wills. Painful things happen when that goes on, and there's a power struggle. He wants his way, she wants hers. Often it gets started over something that's very minor, but that little thing gets triggered and there's an explosive battle. Maybe it starts with a difference in the checkbook. Maybe it starts with a difference in, in how to discipline children. Maybe it starts with some thoughtless and sensitive comment. Whatever it is, it blows up and gets all out of proportion and before you know it, they're at each other's throat. When that happens, some terrible things are usually said. And they often cut like a knife. But then they go their own way. And as they go their own way, they keep thinking about what was said and how they got into it and all that went on. And as soon as they get thinking about all of that, some regret comes in and into their thinking. And sometimes they even really begin to feel sorry for what they've said. 
And if you've ever been there, maybe, maybe you've even said, boy, I, you know, that was really low. That was, that was something that was tacky. How could I get involved in something like that? Why did I say something that dumb? So you gradually go back to your spouse and you say, well, honey, I need to talk to you. I'm sorry. I guess I just got out of line. You cry a little bit and you make up. Now the question is, does the partner really trust your sorrow? Not necessarily, and for good reason. Because you see, being sorry doesn't really address the issue. What the husband or the wife is waiting to hear is something like this, sweetheart, I, I need to talk to you. And I want to tell you, I really am a strong-willed person, aren't I? And you know, hon, I get way out of line sometimes when I'm insisting on my own way. And I want to admit to you that I was trying to intimidate you. I was trying to crush your resistance to my will. But I also want you to know I want to give up my stubborn, bullheaded need to always be in control. Will you forgive me? Well, now, the mate is all ears. This is something new. So the mate comes back and says, do you really mean what you just said? You don't want to fight anymore? You're giving up the battle, and from this point on in our lives, you only want to work on harmony? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. And that is exactly what God is waiting and longing to hear from you and I who are sinners. He's not impressed with our tears or our sorrow. He's not too impressed with some of the temporary emotional admissions to guilt we come up with. You see, God inevitably says to each sinner, your sword first, please. I want you to give up. I want you to lay down your weapons. I want you to stop your resistance. I want you to stop the hostility. And when we do that, then he graces us with a new beginning. You see, the one Jesus Christ who also yielded to the will of the Father by coming to this earth and dying for our sins, that one says, when you come to me, I want you to yield your life. I want you to follow me. I want you, when you pray, to say, I'm all yours. He even put it in the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. He says, I want you to pray thy kingdom come, and I want you to pray thy will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. And once I yield completely to God, then God takes me into his kingdom. And then Jesus Christ is formed in me. And once Jesus Christ is formed in me, he begins immediately to work through me. And the amazing thing is, is that he would even take me to begin with. 
It doesn't depend upon how good I am, and it doesn't depend upon what skills I have, and it doesn't depend upon how important I might be, and it doesn't depend upon what kind of sin is back there somewhere, and it doesn't depend upon what ability or strength I might have to overcome sin in the future. He says, forget all that. Leave that behind. That has nothing to do with you. I will handle all that, and I will work through all that, and you will be a changed person, but that's why he needs for us to give up the sword. He can't work with somebody who's going to go his own way. Because he said it this way through his apostles. If anyone is in Jesus Christ, I want you to know he's going to become a new creation. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The old is going to go. The new is going to come. And you need to know that all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And I got plans for you. I'm now going to use you eventually when I get you where I want you to also have a ministry of reconciliation. So when Christianity grips your life, change is going to be normal and radical change is going to be very possible because I'm placing my very self in your life in order that you will be transformed. We're not playing games here. I'm not going to just forgive you of this sin when you come and then wait around for a while till you come to heaven. God says, oh no, I'm taking you and I'm going to change your motives and I'm going to change your aspirations and I'm going to change your actions. And he's very open about it in Romans 8:29. He says, I'm going to make you more and more like my son, Jesus Christ. You and I are going to work together. You see, he wants you to know you're forgiven. And he wants you to know you're filled with the Holy Spirit and what that can do for your life. And he wants you to walk in joy. And he doesn't want you to walk in guilt. And he, he wants you to know that every sin is gone. And he wants you to know that you have eternal life. But that's not the end of it. There's more. He also wants you to become his disciple. And that means you're to be a person who's going to learn and ever learn and on and on you're going to learn about him and who he is and what he expects of you and what's going to happen in your life. He wants you to be sanctified. That means you're going to be set apart for him. That means you're going to be open for him to work on you and to use you in the way that he's given you a passion and the way he's given you a, a gift and the way he's given you a personality. He's going to want you to know the truth, and that's going to take some study. And as you know the truth, you're, you're going to put it to practice and experience it. And once you know that truth and you act on it and you work with it, you're going to become a free person, he says. But that takes some work and that takes some study. He says, I'm going to want you to walk in love, and I'm going to expect you as you fellowship with believers and with that family and others to also walk in unity, and that's going to take a heap of humility. I'm going to make sure you have a mission. I'm going to make sure you have a purpose. I'm going to get you to the point where gradually you can be my ambassador and share what you are and all that you have with others. And I'm going to get you to the place where you become more and more like Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm going to change what you are. I'm going to change how you think. And I'm going to change the way you act. And how he does it with me is going to be far different than how he does it with you. And how he does it with you is going to be far different than how he's going to do it with Pastor Brent. Because you see, he takes in our personality, and he takes in our background, and he takes in the weaknesses that are there, and he takes in all of that stuff that we come with. And he works with it, and he starts with it there, and he doesn't turn out sausages that all come out the same and look the same. He works with us on an individual basis. 
And how he does it with you is going to be far different than me because we're all different. But that kind of change in the life of ordinary people like you and me can only come from God. God alone can only come when his people have given up the sword. It doesn't come to people who say, but God, you want me to do that? You don't understand. God, yeah, I know you want me to do that, but not just now. I, I got this going on, I got that going on, I'm dealing with this, I'm working over here. God, I'll, I'll get to that. It doesn't work with people who say, God, why is this in my life now? I've done this and this and this. Why are you allowing this? It comes with people who say, God, whatever you're doing, help me to catch it. Help me to understand it. Help me to be a part of it. Help me to get it. And it's these people who walk by the word of God. And it's these people who give their lives to the king and walk in willful, joyful obedience and have all the fellowship they need with the Father and really experience the love of God and his work in their lives. And it's these people who see the difference as they go through life. Several years ago, when I was pastoring in Orlando, Florida, a man walked into our service, and he walked in with a real air. I mean, he was, he was pretty arrogant. And uh, you just kind of felt, this, this guy's different. He's important. I didn't know who he was, and he just told us his name was Walter, and he didn't sign a card or anything, and he just went out. I started digging around and a couple days found out he was the president of one of the hospitals there in Orlando. He was a very influential man in town. He was on most of the boards, most of the committees, everybody knew him. He was a high salaried man. He lived in the best part of Orlando. He had a fantastic home. And when I got to the hospital after I knew who he was, I started asking around and asking about him and the nurses would say things like well he's very demanding and he swears a lot and he's a very arrogant man but they respected him because they said when he came into this hospital this hospital was dying and he's turned it around and it's a lot better here now he kept coming to church one day after the service he says I want to be a member here just as direct as can be he said Walter you and I have to talk he says, great, how about breakfast in the morning? I said, fine, where? My home. Got there, he and his wife and me, just three of us. And a little truck pulls up out front and there's a catered breakfast being brought in for just the three of us. We could have eaten for a week. <clears throat> we got to talking about all kinds of things and then I said, Walter, I gotta share something with you. To be a member of our church, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I went on to share with him how we come into relationship with Christ. And I said, but you also need to know, that means you need to yield your life to Christ. And I know that you need to understand that you need to give him control of your life. And I'm sure that's very new to you, and that's not something you understand. So I tried to explain it, and I wrote down scripture verses for him to read on his own, and so on. And I said, you need to think about this and, and maybe as a husband and wife talk about this and just go over this over and over and if you have more questions, why don't you call me? And I got up and left. 
He didn't share very much about his personal life with me, but as time went on, I began to understand that his life was a mess. Lots of conflict there, lots of uncertainty there, lots of doubt there, even though he was an arrogant man. Found out his marriage was on shaky ground because he was a workaholic and he was in that hospital night and day. But several weeks later, I got a call, and it was, it was Walter on the phone, and he said, um, I want to tell you that I took the morning off and my wife and I spent the morning reading the Word of God and we read all the scriptures you gave us and many more. And by noon we got down on our knees and we yielded our lives to Jesus Christ. Now you've got to come back for another breakfast and tell us the next step. Well, gradually, everything changed in his life. What was important changed. How he looked at life was changed. How he saw the employees changed. I'd get in the hospital and the nurses said, what'd you do to Walter? He's a different man. How'd you ever clean up his language? You know, they'd ask me all kinds of questions. interesting thing is he was really changed and they were all picking it up different man but he had a business manager who wanted his job he'd been working at it for a couple of years he'd been working with a lot of the board members and working behind his back and when he saw Walter changed he thought there's no way now I'll ever get his job because he won't make a mistake so he shared with the board some of the unethical things Walter had done before he became a Christian and the board called him in, and Walter went in and talked with him, and he said, I'm ashamed to tell you those things are true. And I did exactly what he said. And he said, it was part of my lifestyle. I didn't think it was wrong. I just thought it was the way you'd get ahead. But I'd become a Christian. And he shared what that meant. And he said, I can tell you now, I look at those things like you look at them, and I know they're wrong, and I'm sorry. They didn't believe him, and they fired him. He was devastated, and he called me, and we talked, and he said, how come they didn't believe me? What's going on? And I said, Walter, I don't know what's going on, but I know God is in all of this, and God wants something else for your life. His doctorate was in business administration. His master's was in physical therapy, and after he left our talk, he went back to his home, and he got thinking about things and he said, boy, God wants me to do something else. And he picked up some of those physical therapy magazines that had been coming to his home. And um, he started reading about a clinic in Massachusetts that was going to close in a small town. And they were telling the story that if this, closed, this clinic closed, how many people would not get help and how far it would be to the next physical therapist. And as he read all that, he decided to go up there and find out about it and to see what was happening. And when he got there, he found a little clinic with two people, and he bought it. And he came back to his wife, and he says, I don't know what's ahead, but we're going to trust God. When he got to that little clinic, he started working with people, and he had different goals now. And uh, he, he told the high schools, you got athletes that need help, just send them to me. And he's, God just kept sending them all kinds of teenage athletes. And he started talking to them, telling them about Jesus. And, 
things about their life that had to be turned around. And the kids were really relating to him. And he decided, too, that there were a lot of people who couldn't afford his services. And when he understood that, he, he, he brought in a certain number every day for free service. And he worked with them and had an impact on their life. He got involved with the church. But there were testing times as well. Just when things seemed to be going right, his own son had meningitis. And he called one night and he says, Earl, the, they tell me he's not going to live through the night. Just pray. And the child did live in time, but he went through some terrible, terrible times. A couple years later, Walter himself got into some kind of strange disease, and he was down for months, and he couldn't, he couldn't do a thing, and he laid at death's door for weeks, and they didn't know if he'd live or die. Lots of positives in his life, but also lots of tests and some tremendous challenges. But all the time, yielded Walter was seeing God work and he was learning more about people he was learning that God never leaves us nor forsakes us and he was learning that God has things to teach us that we never thought possible and he was learning that even when the difficulties come God is there and he's at work and we don't question all that and he said the more conflict I had the less I questioned God the less doubt I had the more trust I had in him. I've heard him say this, so if he were here this morning, he'd probably say, coming into relationship with Christ wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It's a lot more difficult than I thought. But it has become more than I ever hoped it would be. Is that the kind of life you're looking for? That deep fellowship with the Father? that experiencing his love as you open your yielded life to him and let him work in your life, that life that's constantly changing, if that's not what you're looking for, what are your dreams? What is your desire? Think about it. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father and our God, it's amazing to us that you would take sinners, unfaithful people like us, and you would come into our life as we yield ourselves to you and turn these lives around and change them and make us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your willingness to do that. Praise you for your ability to do that. May you be glorified for wanting to do it with each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.